Proverbs 18 is where we'll get started. Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18 and verse 21. 18, 21. Proverbs 18 and verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. You've heard that before. You probably said that before. You know, a kid is, is worked up over uh, something mean another kid said to him on the, on the schoolyard. And that's what we say to them. Sticks and stones can break my bones, can, but words can never hurt me. I understand the point. Kids do need to learn to have thicker skin, and uh, they don't need to be crushed by every little insult. That's going to be a hard life if, uh, if that's how you go, go through the world. But the only problem I have with that saying about sticks and stones is, I think it's contradicted by the Bible. Because Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life or in the power of the tongue. That does not sound like words can never hurt me. Uh, Death and life does not sound like that. You know, the thing about sticks and stones breaking bones is, is that broken bones are often much less serious and much less harmful than words can be. When I I was a very young child, uh, one or two or something, I um, climbed out of my crib, fell, and broke my leg. Um, I have no memory of it whatsoever, there's pictures of me with a big cast on my leg, but I have no memory of it, and I have no ill effects from it. But you know, malicious gossip that permanently ruins reputation, lies that destroy trust in a relationship, or false doctrine preached words can jeopardize souls. True enough, words can't break bones, but there are worse things in the world than broken bones, aren't there? James put it this way, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, a restless evil full of deadly poison. James also calls the tongue a rudder, a small instrument that can set the course of our entire lives. Whereas Solomon says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So what I want to do today, both this morning and this afternoon at five, is to spend some time thinking about the power of the tongue. This evening, we're going to talk about what I'm going to call the friendly tongue, the ability we have to heal and edify and give life through our words. This evening, the friendly tongue, but this morning, I want to talk about the fiery tongue. That is the ability we have to burn down everything and burn down everyone in our path through the sinful use of the tongue. I want to look at Proverbs on the fiery tongue. So what we have here are five ways to burn everything down with your words. Five ways, if that's your goal, Proverbs says, here's how you do it. Number one is lying. This is Proverbs 19 and verse 5. Proverbs 19 and verse 5. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. This is verse 9, which is awfully similar. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will perish. So here we have the false witness, the the classic way in the Old Testament referring to the liar, someone who lies in order to get someone else in trouble, or someone who lies to save their own hide, to uh, witness against someone, and 
uh, claim things about them that didn't really happen. It's someone for whom truth is expendable if it helps me achieve my selfish ends. That's, that's the idea. And I want you to think about this for a minute. What, what it really means, what's really happening when we bear false witness, when we lie. You know what we're really doing at the end of the day is an act of counterfeit creation. When we lie, we are really committing sort of a blasphemous counterfeit act of creation. When we lie, what we're really doing is bringing a reality into existence in the minds of others, bringing a reality that does not exist into existence in the minds of others. And so let's say I steal a candy bar, and someone says, did you steal the candy bar? And I say, no, I did not steal the candy bar. And now all of a sudden, in their minds, this is the world we're living in. It's a world where I didn't take it. Someone else did. Someone else gets accused. Um, An alien popped in and took it. Something, but a, a different world that doesn't exist suddenly is being created in the mind of the other person. That's what I do when I lie. There is also a sense in which lying is sort of the fundamental sin. It's the granddaddy of all sin, so to speak. Just just think of it this way. What is Satan called in the Bible? Is he the father of stealing? Is he the father of murder? Is he the father of idolatry? It's not what he's called. He's called in the Bible the father of lies. You know, in Eden, the snake brings to life the imagination of Eve a reality that doesn't actually exist. He said, when you eat of the tree, you will not surely die. Actually, you'll be just as wise as God, and it'll be great. It's an act of bearing false witness about God. He creates in Eve's mind a world that doesn't actually exist, and when she lives in that false world and acts like that false world exists, disaster ensues. The false witness, the liar today, acts like Satan. And we are on the road to the same fate as Satan. As verse 5 says, we will not escape. And as verse 9 says, the liar will always perish. This is Proverbs 21 and verse 6. Proverbs 21 and verse 6. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. This proverb reminds us lying can be advantageous for a moment. There's a reason why lying is so prevalent, because it wins us advantages. It's useful. It can help us get treasures. It's how you sell snake oil as a magic cure, right? You lie. You say things that aren't true, and you say that they are. But we are reminded that the treasures gained through the lie will never outlast the guilt incurred by the lie. The treasures may come, sure enough, but the guilt remains long after the treasures are gone. This is Proverbs 12, 19. Just listen. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is for a moment. Truthful lips will bring those with us to heaven. Lying lips, that's just for a moment. Those perish. Often, on this side of eternity and always on the other side of eternity, the truth outs. The truth will out. Lies cannot stand forever. The web of lies we weave comes unraveled. We can't keep track of who we told what because we've not been simply telling the truth. We've been telling people advantageous things and we've been telling different things to different people. That comes unraveled. And whatever gain we temporarily got from all of that, eventually, it says, is going to dissipate into the air like a vapor and it's going to go away. The guilt lasts much longer than the advantage. It seems like it's useful, but it's never worth it in the end. This is Proverbs 25 and verse 18. 
A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. So here is the false witness again. And what this is is an illustration of the harm words can do, the harm lying can do. This is not sticks and stones kind of stuff. Lying here is a violent act. You know, if, if you smear someone with words, if you lie about someone, this proverb says you might as well just be beating them over the head with a club or running them through with a sword or shooting them full of arrows. You are doing a great violence to them. One man put it this way. He said, the words of a false witness can crush the reputation, crush the livelihood or the social standing of the object of the lies. Lies divide us from trusted friends. All it takes for any one of us is one rumor, and life as we know it can be over that quickly. That's the violence that words can do. The point is the stakes are high when it comes to lying and truth-telling. This is life-and-death stuff, Solomon said. Think of the power of words this way. God creates the world in Genesis 1 because God speaks truthful and powerful words. Words are the thing that creates the world. And then God's creation is ruined in Genesis 3 because the father of lies deceives God's creatures with lies. Words create the world and then words ruin God's creation. And Proverbs says when we act like Satan, it ruins the world just like his lies did. And our lies invite God's judgment on us just like Satan's lies do. So we begin with lies and move very quickly to a a, a cousin, a sort of first cousin of lying, which is flattery. Flattery is insincere praise. Flattery are compliments which are not truthful. And I'll say this up front, I was surprised. What I do in these sermons basically is I get one of the subjects covered and I just write down all the ones about it and try to categorize them. And I'm often surprised by how much emphasis is given to something not expected. Flattery is one of those. There's about a dozen Proverbs on flattery. We're not going to look at all of them. But this is a big emphasis of Proverbs. This is a real problem in our world, flattery. This is 26 and verse 28. Proverbs 26 and verse 28. 26.28, a lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. This is 27 and verse 6, a few verses down. 27 and verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy, which is, I think, a description, at least in part, of flattery. As nice as it sounds, flattery works ruin to the one who hears it. The foolish, here's what the foolish do. Foolish people tend to take all praise at face value and dismiss all criticism out of hand. They they internalize every bit of praise and take it uh, deadly serious, but if you criticize them, it's always you don't know what you're talking about. Wise people reverse it. Wise people take the compliment with a grain of salt, and they count as their greatest friends those who are unafraid to correct them. That's what Proverbs 27 and verse 6 says. This is Proverbs 28 and verse 23. Proverbs 28 and verse 23. 28-23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterwards find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. 
compliments always feel good. I prefer a compliment over criticism every day of the week. It's easy to listen to someone sing your praises. But a life filled with yes-men flatterers is ultimately like living in zero gravity. And they're not doing you any favors. You know, um, every astronaut um, experiences when they're in space, every single astronaut experiences bone deterioration and muscle atrophy. Every single one of them. Um, And why is it? Because there's no resistance in zero gravity. There's no resistance to their bones or to their muscles. And so there is going to be no way of growing stronger, no way of stressing those things, which is what they need to be tested and corrected. A life of compliments is like that. There will be no growth. There will be no challenges. There will be no reproof. There will be no demanding that you should do something different, which as long as we are not perfect is going to do us great harm if that's all we have. The wise man, it says, will always value the loving rebuke over the empty compliment. This is Proverbs 29 and verse 5. Proverbs 29 and verse 5. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. I think what this does is is expose the motives of the flatterer, the ulterior motives of the flatterer. Um, what, What they do is identify a point of pride or insecurity in you so that they can use you, so that they can bait the trap with the compliment, and so then they can use you and make you amenable to being used. And so, if you're insecure about your looks, what the savvy flatterer will do is lay it on thick about how beautiful or handsome you are. Or if you fancy yourself an intellectual, they'll play it up about how smart you are. But what are they really doing? This proverb says they're making you more amenable to get out of you what they want. Now, the lesson of these warnings is not never give a compliment. And it's not view anyone who gives you a compliment with suspicion. The question for the compliment giver, for us when we compliment other people, say nice things about other people, the question for us is why do I say nice things to other people about other people? Why do I say nice things? Am I offering genuine and godly encouragement to them, which we always need? Am I praising that which is truly praiseworthy? Or do I mainly reach for the compliment only when they need to butter someone up? That's the question for the compliment giver. And for the compliment receiver, equally important, here's the question. Am I so insecure and desperate for affirmation that I lap up any little compliment someone gives me and reject any criticism out of hand? Because that's going to put me in prime position to be used. Remember, the flattering kisses of an enemy are deceitful and cheap. And the wounds of a friend are always precious. Flattery is a fiery use of the tongue. Number three is the sin of gossip. Go back to Proverbs 11 with me. Proverbs 11 and verse 13. Proverbs 11 and verse 13. By the way, there's probably more about gossip in the Proverbs than any other wrong form of speech. Proverbs 11 and verse 13. Whoever goes about slandering, eleven thirteen. whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Here's really what's at the core of gossip. The revealing of secrets of others to people the information does not concern and revealing of information about someone which is of no help to that someone, which is not intended to help them in any way. 
So this proverb really imagines two people. The first person hears some salacious piece of information and they cannot wait to share it with other people. And the other person in line two can be told something in confidence and is trustworthy enough to keep that confidence. The question is, when you get a hold of a juicy tidbit about someone else, are you more like line one of the proverb or like line two of the proverb? This is Proverbs 16.28. Proverbs 16.28. 16.28. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. This, this describes both the tone as well as the effect of gossip. So some versions call the person in verse 2 a slanderer, uh, or rather in line 2, they call the, this person a slanderer, but literally the word is, as mine translate it, translates it in the second half of the verse, whisperer. That's the word. It's a whisperer. And this tells us something about gossip. Gossip is often, often called whispering in the Proverbs. You know, gossip doesn't normally happen in public crowded places where lots of people can overhear us. That's not where gossip happens. You can imagine, you can even imagine the posture someone adopts when they gossip, right? This is not a confident, hands on your hips, you know, look at me world. It's often slouched over, eyes darting around, making sure no one else is listening. Happens in back rooms with hushed tones. This is the key. When you wouldn't dare say something for everyone to hear, it might be a clue. Gossip's coming out of your mouth. And then there's the effect of of gossip, which is strife and the separation of friends. A later proverb says this, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Proverbs 17 and verse 9. This is verse 30. Proverbs 16 and verse 30. Whoever winks his eyes plans dishonest things. He who purses his lips brings evil to pass. What this says is that gossip doesn't always need to be vocalized to get passed along. Sometimes all it takes is a wink and a nod. A question someone asks, and so you purse your lips, you raise an eyebrow, you nod your head to indicate something, and that can often speak volumes, this proverb says. This is Proverbs 18 and verse 8. Proverbs 18 and verse 8. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. This really describes the problem of listening to gossip. Not speaking it, but listening to it. Developing an appetite for it. I'll read you what one commentator says. He says, listening to gossip is as easy as eating candy. And stopping a gossip who's about to share some tasty tidbit of news with you is harder than pushing away from the dessert table. It gets worse in line two. The, the tasty morsel that, that, you, that you savor, it, then it says after you eat it, it goes down into the inner parts of the body. I think what this is saying is something like this. Once gossip is imbibed, once it is heard and taken in, you cannot help but be shaped by it. Both in yourself as now a consumer of gossip who's going to get more of an appetite for it, and also... <clears throat> No matter the veracity of the rumor that you hear, you can't help but shaping your view of the person it's about now. Um, You never look at the subject of the gossip the same. That's the point. This is 25 in verse 9. 
One more here on this uh, point. Proverbs 25, verse 9. 25-9. 25-9. Argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you, and your ill repute have no end. We're being urged here to work out conflicts with our neighbor, not work out conflicts with everyone but our neighbor. Verse 9 warns us about about making what should be a personal issue into a public one where you start revealing your neighbor's secrets to the whole world. Maybe you're in some dispute with them and you know something about them and you know spreading that something about them will win sympathy for you and diminish their reputation and so you start sharing their secrets. Verse 10 says, not just don't do it because it's wrong. He says, don't do it because it's unwise. It's, it's going to come back on you if that's the way you conduct your business. Verse 10 says, you do that enough and your own reputation will be ruined. When people see how you handle your business, when they see how you share every confidence people share with you, when, when everything whispered to you gets posted on Facebook, right? Who's going to want to confide in you from then on? Who's going to want to do business with you if that's the kind of business you do? Gossip hurts everyone, ultimately. It hurts the person gossiped about, of course. But it also, in the long run, hurts the person who does the gossiping. Have you ever known someone who, who every time someone leaves the room, they say something nasty about that person who just left the room? At some point, you've got to wonder what they're saying about you when you leave the room, don't you? At some point, we start drawing conclusions about the person who does all this gossiping and not just about the people they gossip about. This is really the the difficulty of gossip. I find gossip a really difficult thing to diagnose in myself and even in other people sometimes. Um, The problem with gossip is no one who's doing it ever thinks that's what they're doing at the moment. Um, We we often cloak our gossip, gossip in kind of a benevolent shawl. And we say things like, well, I just thought you should know. And we say, you know, in Texas, we say a really horrible thing about someone and then say, well, bless their heart. And now it's okay, right? Here's a few questions to ask next time you're tempted to whisper, next time you're tempted to lean in and hear it. Does this matter involve me or the other person I'm talking to? Does this matter involve me in some way? Should it involve me or this other person in any way? And does the person actually this concerns? Does the person this actually concerns, do they know about the issue? Have they been, have they been roped into this? Another question. What's my agenda in passing along this information? Am I trying to tear someone down? Am I trying to put someone in their place? Try to hurt their reputation who I think has it coming? Am I trying to get people on my side to win sympathy in some disagreement? Or... Am I trying to solicit help in solving a problem so the person this does concern so that their soul can be saved? Is that actually my motivation or is it something, something less than that? Another question. Would I be embarrassed or ashamed if other people overheard what I'm saying? That's a clue. Where does this information I'm passing along fall on the scale between fact and rumor? How verifiable is this information? Do I have at least as much integrity as journalists are supposed to have who are supposed to investigate claims before they can publish them? Before I publish with my mouth this content, 
How sure am I that it's even true? And then, here's, here's, here's maybe the easiest one. Before I speak something, do I begin by saying words like this? I probably shouldn't say this, but, and then we say the thing we probably shouldn't. Or maybe even, if we have less self-awareness, I don't want to gossip, but, and then we say gossip. Those are some questions I think. We need to be careful. Be careful about our words. Very easy to gossip. Number four is what I'm going to call malice. Malicious words. Kind of a broad category. This is uh, Proverbs 26 and verse 18. Proverbs 26 and verse 18. These are words that are simply calculated to hurt people as much as possible. This is uh, 26 and verse 18. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, verse 19, is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. So we have in verse 18 a maniac randomly throwing flaming arrows at people from his rooftop with no concern for who gets hurt. That's a maniac. Complete disregard for the well-being of others or for the consequences of his actions. Well, how is the maniac of verse 18 like the guy in verse 19? Well, the guy in verse 19 speaks deceitfully or insultingly or maliciously with no concern for who he hurts. And then, when you get your feelings hurt by something that I say, I say, I was only kidding, get over it. I think the point is, words are powerful things, and when we use our words in malicious ways or unguarded ways, there may, it may be the case that there are no magical takebacks. Right? When one of those flaming arrows goes out of my mouth and hits someone else, regardless of my intention. When one of those flaming arrows goes out of my mouth and hits someone else, the damage may be already done. I'm only joking, doesn't really fly. This is Proverbs 30 and verse 10. Proverbs 30 and verse 10. Proverbs 30 and verse 10. Do not slander a servant to his master, lest he curse you and you be held guilty. So slaves obviously are the lowest rung of society. Um, Very few rights, and they would be pretty powerless to defend themselves against an accusation made about them by an upstanding citizen. Um, If if it's the word of a servant and the word of a citizen, you're always going to take the citizen's word over the servant. There's a story in the Bible about this. When Potiphar's wife, this wife of this a great official in the Egyptian government, when she lies about Joseph, the slave in her house, who does everyone believe? They always believe the citizen and not the servant. The warning of this proverb is against slandering a slave to his master, which would all but guarantee that the servant would be punished. You have a great power over the servant. He doesn't have any power to defend himself. No defense against your malice. But line two reminds the would-be slanderer, justice will be meted out sooner or later you will be held guilty. God did not give us the ability of speech so that we could use our words to maliciously hurt other people. James says this in James 3 and verse 9, With the tongue we bless the Lord and Father, our Lord and Father, and with it we curse other people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Which brings us to number five. Fifth and finally, 
struggled what to call this one. I ended up on jibber-jabber, jibber-jabber. This is uh, Proverbs 10, Proverbs 10. So <clears throat> what do I mean by jibber-jabber? Um, there is a type of speech characterized in Proverbs, which it's not lying, it's not slander, it's not gossip. It's just sort of a thoughtless flapping of the gums that gets us in trouble. Jibber-jabber is what I'm going to call it. This is Proverbs 10 and verse 19. Proverbs 10 and verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The more words you say, the more opportunities you create to say the wrong thing. Each word sort of casts a wider net to catch some foolishness in. And so the more we rattle on, the more likely we are perhaps to make a promise we can't keep. The more we talk, the more opportunities we have to offend someone else or to make a joke in bad taste. The more opportunities we create to embarrass ourselves. The more chances we make to reveal our own ignorance or to bore someone or to reveal our own character flaws. You know, the possibilities are endless when sinners like us just keep pouring forth words. You know, this this proverb, even a fool, if he keeps silent, can be considered wise. Proverbs 17 and verse 28. This is Proverbs 18 and verse 6. A similar idea, Proverbs 18 and verse 6. Proverbs 18 and verse 6. A fool's lips walk into a fight. And his mouth invites a beating. Verse 7, a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. When fools talk, this says they invite a beating. They get themselves into trouble. They make a hasty vow, like Jephthah. They, They speak thoughtless words. They tell a bad joke. They dispense bad advice. The possibilities are endless when a fool talks. This is Proverbs 18 and verse 13. Verse 13 of the chapter. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. Any of you chronic interrupters listen, listening here? It, it takes one to know one. I, I've uh, had a hard time learning this. So here is verse 13. Here's someone eager to show off how smart they are, eager to show off how witty they are. When you're talking, they're thinking of the next thing they want to say. They're so eager to speak up, they never actually listen to what the other person is saying. One man put it this way. This proverb declares that such quick wittedness is in fact, wittiness is in fact a sign of dim wittedness. It's a sign of a man's folly and shame, not a sign of his cleverness. He reveals his great preoccupation is not in hearing and understanding, but in showing off his supposed insight. Along these lines, Proverbs 18 and verse 2 says, Proverbs 18 and verse 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. This is Proverbs 29 and verse 20. Proverbs 29 and verse 20. 29, 20. Here's sort of the judgment on the jibber-jabberer. 29, 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. When we have no filter, no forethought, no off switch to our mouths. This proverb says we pretty much can consign ourselves hopelessly to a life of foolishness. There's no hope for us. Line two says there, there may be a sliver of hope for the fool to learn wisdom. That can happen. That conversion can happen. 
But when you add a hasty tongue to the equation, when a fool cannot stop talking, that fool may be beyond recovery. So, so here's an imagined scenario of how this might happen. One, one way this might work. One man put it this way. Having, having blurted out his ill-conceived and poorly thought through ideas, he finds his thoughts on public record. His pride demands he defend those ideas to the end. His resolute will refuses to budge, even when the weight of evidence rests on the other side, and he dies defending his rightness. And so we just keep talking, we say something silly, and then we have to defend that silly thing that we said, we defend it to the death, we die a fool, when that's our state, our state of our hearts. The point is, when we're always talking, we can't listen. And when we can't listen... We can't hear wisdom. We can't be corrected. In the book of Proverbs, the lady wisdom is always calling out for the naive and uninstructed to, to come heed her call and enter her house, eat from her table, receive her blessings. We have to listen to her. We have to come to her and submit to her. But there will be no feast of wisdom for the jibber-jabberer. There will be no blessings of wisdom. and There will be no relationship with the God of wisdom if we never stop talking. So sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. I say nonsense. One, because that's what the proverb says is not true. Lies and flattery, gossip, malicious words, jibber-jabber, all of these can get us into much more trouble than breaking a leg. And the hurt they inflict can take a lot longer to heal than a broken leg. Death and life, Solomon says, are in the power of the tongue. So we've talked, we've talked this morning about the death half of that verse, about the fiery, uh, the fiery potential of our words. Come back this evening at 5. We'll talk about how we can bring life and wholeness to the world with our tongue, how we can heal that which is broken, how we can give life and truth to people through our words. And so maybe there's someone here this morning who realizes what a mess you've made in your life through your sin, and maybe the primary sins you've been committing have been sins of the tongue, <clears throat> words spoken, foolishly, thought, thoughtlessly, maliciously, whatever. The good news is the God of all truth can speak true words of forgiveness to us. If we will stop talking for a moment, listen to him, and to receive his word of forgiveness, we can have it. If you need that this morning, come forward now as we stand and sing. <clears throat> Fine one.